Hello, everybody. Ron Johnson here, your host on the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast, where our goal each week is to uh, honor Jesus Christ as the Lord of life and to bring his lordship right into our lives where it really matters. Uh, we're excited to be with you today. Uh, we're picking up where we left off last week. You know, we had David Rubin in town. If you're not familiar with David, he is he is what uh, many people call uh, the uh, trusted voice of Israel, this trusted spokesperson for Israel. Uh, David is the president and founder of Shiloh Israel Children's Fund, which is an incredible uh, ministry dedicated to healing uh, children who have been victims of terrorism. And of course, in Israel, uh, that's a lot of kids. In fact, David made the comment that most people in Israel personally know somebody who's been a victim of terrorism. And I shared with you last week, uh, you know, when I had the pleasure of going to Israel, it was amazing to me that they really live in an atmosphere of constant uh, threat. Uh, and uh, I can't imagine what it's like to, to live that way. Almost every house and every public facility has some type of a bomb shelter that's attached to the physical structure. Uh, and this is, you know, what they live under. And so I'm really excited to bring you part two of our interview with David. Uh, and on this episode, we get into some of the more uh, pertinent issues, things that you're finding in the news and issues and words and phrases that have pop probably popped on the, the uh, television, mainstream media a time or two. And David does a great job of exposing a lot of uh, terminology that is either slanted or uh, propagandistic. Uh, it's used against Israel. It's used by the enemies of Israel uh, to uh, work against them. And one of the phrases that he talks about in, in his book, and by the way, he's got about seven books. I encourage you to go on to Amazon uh, or wherever you get your books online and, uh, and just look it up. He's got an amazing selection of books that he's written. But one of the words or phrases that's used is, you know, we're fighting global terrorism. Uh, what is global terrorism? Who are we fighting? Who are who is who are the global terrorists? You know, sometimes these can be kind of empty words um, that really remove um, the perpetrators uh, because we're in our political correct culture. We don't like to label people, or we certainly don't like to speak out on on ideologies that are behind radical terrorism. But David's going to clarify some of that. And we're going to get into some really really. Uh, powerful issues that I think you'll find intriguing, especially hearing from somebody who lives in Israel and is right there uh, on the ground, boots on the ground, experiencing um, what they've experienced for the last uh, however many years. David's been there now, I think it's close to 20 years. So I think you're going to really enjoy this as David unpackages uh, global terrorism, um, the Palestinian movement and some of these other things that we hear on the news. Uh, so let's just, without further introduction, let's just go straight to the interview. I know you're going to enjoy it. And then I'll come back on the end uh, and wrap things up. I shared uh, with David, I really wanted to get, this is kind of where his normal presentation would stop. But I said, we want to get into some meaty stuff here tonight because I know the audience. I know the crowd here tonight. I know you people are patriots. Am I talking to the right crowd? Uh, I know... Uh, I know you're here because you love the nation of Israel. They've been a tremendous ally of ours and friend of ours. We share the same Judeo-Christian view of the world. We share the same heart for God Almighty and for the promises of God. Can I get an amen on all that? So, so uh, we love Israel and we want to take care of Israel. You know, Israel is a miracle. David reminded me that Israel is the size of New Jersey. 
and they are surrounded by nations whose stated goal is their destruction. They want to push them into the sea, uh, and they want to obliterate this nation. Isn't it amazing that a nation the size of New Jersey is viewed in the American media as the bully and as the aggressor? 700 times the landmass of enemies surrounding them, and yet they're viewed as the aggressor. I just want to let you know, that's why I want, I'd love to take you all on an airplane and fly you with me to Israel. Everybody got a vision for that. We can plan that if we are right. But uh, because um, when you're there and you see the, the, what they live under and the lies and the, the media propaganda, it really makes you angry. When you see what's being taught in our universities and the hatred for Israel and these wonderful people who are peace-loving people and who really just want to live their lives like the rest of us, in freedom and liberty, and yet they're surrounded with this type of hatred and overt attacks. Uh, it, it's really a tragedy. And I'll tell you what it does for me. It made me, it, it created in me a great love, a deeper love for these people, what they go through, and a desire to do something. So if you're not from Livingstone, just so you all know, what we've started doing the last, I don't know, maybe half dozen years is the very first offering that we receive in each new year. Uh, we dedicate it toward Israel. We dedicate it to bless Israel. Um, and, uh, and I'll tell you what, we have seen the blessing of God on our ministry as we simply honor uh, God's people and, um, and simply care about their well-being and want to do what we can to partner with them. So again, David, I appreciate you being here. Now, what you're going to love about this man is what I love about this man is he's not politically correct. Okay, so I told you, they're going to like you, David. So I told him, just be yourself. Uh, you're in a, we're in a friendly audience here tonight. The first part of the presentation has been warm fuzzies. Have you been warmed and fuzzied? All right. All right. So, but now we're moving into real issues. And here's the first issue I want to throw out to you. You mentioned that the media loves to talk about the threat of global terrorism. But what is global terrorism? And explain to us why this is vacuous words. They're words without meaning, all right? We're not fighting global terrorism because global terrorism, who is global terrorism? What is global terrorism? Well, look, I, I, I remember after 9-11, uh, the, you know, President Bush, you know, GW, was very, he was very resolute. He said, we're going to cut off the hands of those terrorists. And, and you know, and I've heard all, all, all the politicians, I've heard it in Israel too. You know, there have been prime ministers who's, you know, they, they all talk big. They say, we're, we're going to cut off the hands of the terrorists. We're going, they, even now, even now, they say they're, they're, they're making these threats uh, to Iran, is, you know that the, you know, and sometimes it's just words. Uh, but but when, but when you they say what they're going to do to terrorism, we have to fight radical terrorism. We 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 have to fight the the terrorism. Everyone is afraid to say that terrorism is a strategy. But there is an enemy, there is someone, there, there, there is uh, an ideology of 
radical Islam, and and if I could if I could say something that's a little bit politically correct, please do. You already gave me permission. Uh, the core of Islam is radical. So it's it, it, so it's not. You know, very often they'll say on the news, the radical fringe of Islam. It's not a fringe. It's not a fringe. The, the bulk of the Islamic world supports terrorism. Uh, they, they don't all do it. They don't all carry it out, but they support it. And, uh, you know, on 9-11, after 9-11, when, when, they, when, when they're handing out candy in Gaza, uh, it, you know, it wasn't an accident. It's a direct corollary. When, when they were celebrating... In, in all of the Palestinian communities, after the Taliban took over Afghanistan, that's not an accident. They share an evil ideology. So terrorism is a strategy. We don't fight terrorism. We have to deal with the ideology behind the terrorism. Correct. And ideologies are ideas. We're not hating any people tonight. We love people. People are made in the image and likeness of God. But how many of you know all ideas are not equal? And, and some ideas are flat out evil. And the problem is when you live in a world of political correctness where everything is morally relative, anybody who speaks in terms of good or evil is, you automatically get names attached to you. You're a racist, you're an Islamophobe, you're a hater, you're a bigot, you're a homophobe. I mean, any anytime- I've been, I've been called you've, those. You've been right? called all those. <laughs> I've been called a few of those names myself. But the problem is we, we've lost our appetite for truth in our culture today. And so when we speak, thus saith the Lord, from our Judeo-Christian common heritage, and we, we believe in moral absolutes, we have a culture that can't really swallow that. And so we don't want to talk about the, the wicked ideology of Islam. We want to dance around and talk about fighting radical terrorism. But here's the reality. How many of you know if you love Jesus... You're called a radical Christian, and you, and you follow the teaching of the Bible, you're considered radical. I've said many times, a radical Muslim is just somebody who follows the teachings of Muhammad. They're just a, they're just a devout believer in what Muhammad actually teaches. Yeah, and, uh, and you can't speak on, on most networks, you cannot speak about your Christian beliefs. And you, you can't even say, you know, when, when somebody starts talking about God, you know, if I, if I, if I say on, uh, on, on radio, on television sometimes, uh, well, God gave the land of Israel to the Jewish people. You know, they, that wouldn't go over that well on, on Fox News these days. No. I'm, I'm sorry to say, and you know, and I've been on Fox many times, uh, but more recently a lot, a lot more on Newsmax, but oh, which I will be on, God willing, on Wednesday for um, on uh, I, I believe on uh, John Bachman's show, but anyhow, maybe taped. I don't know if, when it's going to be on, if it's going to be live, but anyhow, my my point is. That, that you can say the G word on, uh, on the mainstream media, the G word, if, it, if the word is gay. But you can't say the G word if it's God. Yeah.
And that's a problem. Yes, yes. So you were peppering our congregation this morning with some trick questions. And, um, and one of the questions I want you to flesh out for us is, you know, you say there's a lot of code words that surround Israel that the, that the media and actually the enemies of Israel have, have created. One of those code words is West Bank. Uh, West Bank, as you pointed out, is really referring to the areas of Judea and Samaria. This is the biblical heartland. We call it West Bank because it has political tone. So explain to us, like, why is it that, that those that hate Israel like to call it the West Bank? Well, the Palestinian narrative has taken root. And the, you know, just, just to go through the history very quickly, very quickly. Uh, the, I spoke this morning about, about Shiloh, the ancient Shiloh, where the tabernacle stood 369 years. Uh, then, then Hannah comes to Shiloh to pray for her son. Uh, she, she, um, from her prayers, her son Samuel is born. Samuel grows up in Shiloh. And, uh, and then goes on to appoint the first two kings of Israel, Saul and David. David establishes the unified kingdom in Jerusalem. Solomon builds the holy temple in Jerusalem. Uh, eventually the temple is destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and then uh, the second temple, uh, Ezra and, and uh, Nehemiah, shall I say, uh, Nehemiah um, in Hebrew, uh, they, they, they rebuild the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. The second temple stands for another few hundred years. Then it's destroyed by the Romans. The Romans exile the Jewish people from the land of Israel. 2,000 years we wander and we come back into the land of Israel in 1948. Now, uh, uh, excuse me, we come back in the late 19th century and uh, have been there ever since, thank God. Uh, but the uh, the point is that when the Romans exiled the Jewish people from the land of Israel, at that point the land of Israel was called Judea. Uh, Judea, you know, the, the word Jew comes from Judea, by the way. Uh, it's not a coincidence. Uh, and, and so we had Judea, and there was also Israel. It was the kingdom of Israel before that. They did away with those terms. The Romans did away with those terms because they understood the power of media propaganda. Okay, there was no real media at that time, but there was propaganda. And they changed the name of the land of Israel and they, and they started calling it Palestina, giving it a Roman derivative of the word Philistines. It was akin to what would happen if somebody would, God forbid, take over America and, and say Al-Qaeda would take over America and they would call uh, the United States Al-Qaeda. So this was... A, a, or call it ISIS. So we take uh, that, the enemies of Israel and we attach the name... Give to the it enemies. a name that has nothing to do with the, with, the, with the indigenous people of the land and thereby you can say, well, you are not the indigenous people of the land. And that's what happened. That's where the word Palestine came from. Uh, for, it stuck for the next 2,000 years. Everyone called it 
uh, Palestine. And, you know, my father-in-law, by the way, uh, comes from a family uh, that is that had that lived for ten generations in the land of Israel, in Jerusalem, in Hebron, and ten generations, and maybe even more. And he he told me that when he grew up in Jerusalem, and he he moved to America when he was nine years old, and uh, that's. Uh, for complicated reasons that I could explain another time, but that's that's how my my wife uh, became a, an American. But uh, but but my father-in-law uh, may he continue to live for many more years in in uh, better health. Uh, so he and he said that the children in Jerusalem. The Jewish children used to call themselves Palestinians. They called themselves Palestinians. They, they were just, they're Palestinian Jews. And the, the Arabs would never call themselves Palestinians. They said, we are not Palestinians, we are part of the Arab nation. However, in 1964, uh, they, they, they established the Palestine Liberation Organization because they, were, they weren't having a very good uh, success rate in getting rid of the Jews from the land of Israel. They were trying to drive us into the sea. They weren't succeeding. Then 1967 came along, and and uh, after the Palestine Liberation Organization was established to create this new indigenous people, and and in 1967, uh, God helped us to reclaim the old city of Jerusalem, and to reclaim Judea and Samaria, and to reclaim the Golan Heights and Gaza and the Sinai Desert and Judea and Samaria. And all of this happened in six days, and on the seventh day we rested, and then the Arabs discovered the West Bank. <laughs> they, they, they suddenly said there is a place called the West Bank. And I, I wish because we... they didn't want to use the, the real geographic terms. I wish we had time to get in, but you all realize, I mean, the, the intricacies of that war and what God did to establish Israel, of course, was Bible prophecy. It was a miracle, uh, and it's still a sign and a wonder today that Israel exists. Read the book of Ezekiel chapter 36, and that will tell you everything about the exile of Israel and the return of Israel to its land. And what we found, which is strange when we we're, when were over there, is that the PLO locates their headquarters in hospitals, in schools, in places where there are innocent civilians. Not, not their headquarters. The headquarters is in Ramallah, which is one of the autonomous uh, Palestinian cities, one of the mistakes of the Oslo Peace Accords. And, uh, but but they, they, they have their missile launchers and their weapons factories under hospitals and educational institutions. So every time you try to protect yourselves and retaliate, you're launching missiles in, to uh, go after them, and they're surrounding themselves with children and sick people and elderly and then, people. And then civilians are killed, and, and sick people are killed, and then they say, look, the Jews are committing genocide, as they said a few days ago in the presence of Kamala Harris, and Kamala Harris said, well, I think we have to respect your truth. 
Again, truth is relative, right? Yeah. yeah. And we have a lot of, of progressives and leftists in America, and I've never understood this, but that are actually more aligned with Islamic ideology than they are with Judeo-Christian values. And it's shocking to me because we're looking at what's happening all across Europe, and I want to get your opinion on this. How concerned should we be as Americans with what you're calling uh, Eurasia or Eurabia, with the Islamization of many of our European countries, and they're being, they're being taken over without even firing a shot. You need to be very concerned. And you need to be concerned not just about Eurabia, what I call Eurabia. Uh, you need to be very concerned about what's happening in the United States of America. Uh, because there, there is uh, a growth and an assertiveness of the Muslim population in the United States, a radicalization of the Muslim population in the United States that you need to be very concerned about. Absolutely. Uh, it's one of the great dangers to this country. You know, we're one of the, we're a melting pot nation, I think is one of our strengths. When you look out at our church on Sunday morning and all across America, you they find... Don't, they don't melt. I'm sorry for interrupting <laughs> yeah. you. They don't, they don't melt. Well, this is important because how many of you know we've always invited people into our country who can assimilate and who can assimilate to our Judeo-Christian values in this nation? And when you have people groups that come to America who have no intention on assimilating, but have a clear vision on taking over, gradually building a community, uh, claiming a victim status, right? And then all of a sudden some people get elected into positions of authority. And then I've noticed this, there's not much tolerance in Islam. If you go to Saudi Arabia, you will not find any uh, Jewish temples or Christian places of worship in Saudi Arabia or anywhere for that matter in the Islamic world. They simply do not tolerate any other beliefs outside of Islam. It's against, it is against uh, the, the, the ideology, it is against the Quran, uh, it is against Sharia law, which is the, the, the law that they follow. And it is against Sharia law to have other religious institutions uh, being erected in your country. And if you you remember in in uh, uh, where where was that? It was in Libya uh, after after the United States uh, went in that attacked Libya during the Clinton administration. Uh, there was um, there was the uh, the a, a former Libyan who who now lives in Israel who went back to Libya right after that uh, that fighting went on he went back to Libya because he wanted to establish a synagogue the, his, his old synagogue there and he was surrounded by, by Muslims who were, who were ready to attack him, and he had to be, he had to be whisked out of, out of Libya very quickly. Uh, this is what goes on in most Muslim countries. And, uh, and I agree, right now there is a peace agreement between Israel and Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates, and they say that in Dubai things are very friendly. Uh, I hope it'll stay that way, yeah. but, but I, but in most Muslim countries, that is not the case. And that includes Egypt, 
where we have a peace treaty. So what we find out, and you've, you've been the witness of this over the years in Israel, when, when all of the American presidents want to score their political points on uh, geopolitical peace treaties and win the Nobel Prize, they get you guys together with your enemies and try to come up with uh, some type of, of a peace deal. That peace deal usually means Israel gives up precious land, which you don't have because you're the size of New Jersey, in exchange for empty promises that never seem to last. And this is a fact, and we need to watch this. Whenever our presidents are pushing Israel to give up uh, precious land that belongs to them from God, there's always a kickback, and I believe it's the judgment of God, there's a kickback on nations who are pushing that agenda. And there's, in fact, there's a book out, I can't remember the name of it now, but that highlights every time an American president has strong-armed Israel into some agreement that ends up hurting Israel, we have paid for that in terms of some type of national disaster or catastrophe on our own shores. So how many of you know good public policy is to stand with our ally? Uh, and, you know, I love the fact this is one of America's bright spots. When Israel became a nation, it was President Truman who was the first one to call, and we were the first nation to recognize uh, the status of Israel as a legitimate nation uh, and, and one of our friends. And so praise God for his leadership. Well, I ended by just encouraging all of us to uh, continue to be friends with Israel. Obviously, as Christians, we have some theological differences and some major differences uh, with our Israeli friends. But we do share a Judeo-Christian worldview, and that Judeo-Christian worldview has been the foundation of liberty and freedom uh, across the world. And so we need to continue to be friends with Israel. They're our trusted allies. They share our values. And, um, and as I pointed out, every time we have turned our backs on Israel, there's been some type of catastrophe that happens on American soil. And I believe it all goes back to the promise of God that if we will bless Israel, God blesses those who bless Israel. And if we curse Israel and we seek to encourage them to give up precious land for empty promises, we're the ones that pay. So I hope you've enjoyed this interview with David Rubin. We're going to pick up next week with the final interview, uh, final portion of the interview, and I hope you really, really enjoy it. So spread the word far and wide uh, to your friends, and we appreciate your comments on these podcasts, and we hope that they're beneficial to you. Have an amazing week.